get ready to get your mind blown. Listen in as I interview new guests each week to share their knowledge and experiences on subjects we all wish people spoke more about. Covering all things health and wellness, you'll be sure to experience the best mindgasm you've ever had. Today, I am joined by Alex Canero. Alex is an internationally recognized celebrity fitness trainer, IFBB champion, and health author. He is best known for transforming people's health, mind, and body. During the call, Alex opens up about the difficult journey he has faced from a young age, from dealing with bullying through to battling eating disorders. He explains the importance of controlling your emotions, changing your mindset, and how to take back control of your life. Get ready to get your mind blown. Hello and welcome to Mindgasm Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alex. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. So today we're going to be talking all about yourself and your background with fitness, nutrition, and fitness around mental health and body as well. So we've got lots to talk about and you've definitely achieved a lot over the years, which is amazing and super inspiring for anybody who knows about your career and has followed you along your journey. But what I really wanted to do before we sort of get into the detail is to really strip it back and talk about how you got into fitness like where did this come from is this something that you've always been interested in did you get inspired by a friend family member like like where did your journey begin I was actually in Chile when when it all began I was I was 15 turning to 16 years old and I remember my brother um, took me to Brazil for the summer break because I was over there in Chile Hmm. Um, and I remember that, you know, I was just bored out of my mind. I mean, all I literally did, uh, at home was play video games. And I think my brother saw a little bit of a reflection of uh, himself and me because he realized, you know, I was playing a lot of gaming. He gained a lot of weight during the college years because of those so many, uh, gaming. So he's like, you know what? I'm kind of tired of seeing you at the house without doing anything. I'm going to take you to a gym and see if you like it. Mm. And the moment I saw, you know, these bodybuilders training, I'm like, oh my God, these guys look awesome. They look like my cartoon characters, you know, because I'm a huge <laughs> Japanese-American animation kind of guy. I know. And I remember just seeing these big bodies and I'm like, oh my God, I want to be like these guys. So, you know, I honestly fell in love with fitness right away. I started with taking spinning classes and then I started uh, learning about resistance training. And after a while, I just kind of got, you know, they say, bit by the fitness bug and um, wherever I could start working out I did so I started self-educating myself on nutrition and training since obviously I was still in high school there's not much yeah you're, um, you're really young at that age to like suddenly get yeah, that 15, fitness 16. bug so what I did is actually um, started buying some U.S. magazine fitness magazines and I started looking at the covers and I got inspired you know oh my god this is the coolest guy I've ever seen you know on this <laughs> cover um, I got inspired by you know looking at all the ads and, and seeing all these sponsored athletes and, you know, I was at the age of 17, I was kind of like, okay, I really want to go to the U.S. and I really want to build my American dream. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, you know, kind of got me started thinking about, you know, what career should I choose? Because back in the day, I was still thinking about becoming a vet. I wanted to work with animals. Really? Uh, but oh, my I, God, oh, that's yeah, so different. For animals. <laughs> no way. Um, oh, I guess amazing. My mother was a, a doctor and I just realized I don't know, have the patience to, you know, do 13, 15 years of school. And then start my life. So I started looking at, um, you know, careers or majors or education in the field of anatomy, biology. It all kind of still deviated into personal training, no matter what what I decided to do. But I took a risk. You know, I said, you know what, I'm going to go into sports and exercise science, also known as kinesiology, Mm -hmm. and see where it takes me from there. And that's when I, you know, knew that I was going to kind of combine my passion with, you know, something else to turn it into something else down the line. But I didn't know. I would be here today with my own gym and, you know, everything I've achieved 
with with did that. You, did you but, find that you were enjoying it as much? Because obviously, when you're doing it as a hobby and you're like in the magazines and stuff, it's different to actually studying it and going into the detail. Did you find that your passion still continued to grow, or was it a little bit like, oh, it's not quite what I thought? It had its ups and downs, absolutely. Mm. You know, I think every time someone t- t- tells you the the line, you know, follow your passion, you have to be careful because once you depend on that passion, you're no longer going to have that love and admiration for it no matter what happens. You know, you're actually depending, you're living on that hobby. Yeah. So, you know, these days I don't always encourage people to follow their passion. Mm. I tell them if you have a product or service that people need and you're good at it, spend your energy there and then invest in your passion and see what, what else you can do. Um, it takes a certain type of mindset to really do something for 15 years straight and not, you know, deviate from that, from that mindset. But I'm not going to lie. At one point I wanted to become, you know, a police officer. Another time I wanted to become a firefighter. Another time I wanted to become a medical sales rep. But at the end of the day, I always kept thinking to myself, I'm going to go back to fitness. Like if I'm working as a police officer, I am going to somehow create a fitness program for the police department. If I become a firefighter, I'm going to do something related to fitness. And if I become a pharmaceuticals or medical sales rep, I'm somehow going to still end up in something to do with health. So I said, you know what, you know, no matter what path I I thought of myself, I I can't see myself without movement because my Mm -hmm. philosophy is very simple to change people's state of mind with movement. It doesn't have to be in the gym. It could be, you know, running, hiking, yoga, whatever it is, Mm. but the power of exercise and movement can change someone's uh, perspective of life and, state of mind and that's really my philosophy is just apply movement to change someone's state of mind and um you know that i I, come on let's be honest a young that young of an age when i was in chile that wasn't my my philosophy my philosophy was look good for the girls yeah the bigger the bigger i am the more girls i'll get and that everything will be sweet from that (laughs) but you know obviously that deviated as as the time went by you know it was uh, first it was the girls then i you know, wanted to compete and after competing, I wanted endorsements and I wanted covers and I wanted more publicity. So, you know, you can have a passion that it, it, it evolves and morphs over time. Mm-hmm. Um, the important thing is it still, it still has its original foundation, which is love for what you do. Yeah. And it's always hard. It's always hard at first, you know, people don't, people aren't going to understand you. People are going to judge you. Um, and that's why I think a lot of people quit their, you know, their truth, their true self simply because they have an idea that society is either going to judge them, attack them, not facilitate it. But um, that's why I say if you truly have a passion, then honestly, just do it on your own. You don't need to share it to the world like everyone does with their uh, personal problems these days. You know, just keep it to yourself and follow it. Because the beginning wasn't easy for me. And so, and it's not easy now either. I'm not going to lie. But the beginning can always um, make or break you. I had a hard time in Chile. I'm not going to lie. Like, I always felt like an outcast. I always felt different. Uh, My friends thought I was a homosexual uh, my friends thought I was a metrosexual. Um, you know, there were jokes made around. I was very different. Like I, I did already as an early person, as an early age, take care of myself. I was very aware of my skin, uh, you know, habits, my hair habits, my mm. hygiene habits. And it was something that, you know, as a teenager back in Chile, you know, no one, no one did that. Like to yeah. get that sort of like criticism, like when you're at that age, you're so influenced by it, like to still be able to, Stay focused must have been so hard. Well, I remember, you know, my friends would go to my room. We would play video games and there'd be a picture of Arnold or a picture of another famous bodybuilder. And they'd be like, you know, you're, it's pretty gay that you have pictures of, you know, half naked men in your, in your, in your, in your wall. And I said, look, I don't see it that way. I see it as this person applied a lot of knowledge and time to get to that body. That's what yeah. I see. Yeah. If you decide to see, 
you know, a half naked guy. That's your problem. Besides, it's my room. Yeah. But um, yeah, growing up was a little tough, you know, like um, I'd never really felt like I fit in. Um, amazingly, when I when I came to the U.S., it only took one day to fit in because the culture here was a complete different. No. Um, you know, teenagers do play play sports, uh, you know, and increase their bodies. It, it is very common here for a teenager to be the way I was when I was growing up in Chile. So it made me feel a lot more at home, like the culture here embraced me versus uh, criticizing me. But again, you know, I mean, you tell your roommates on the first night, my dream was to be on covers of magazines and billboards and be on TV. And, you know, you know, everyone's going to like not laugh at you at the moment, but they're going to talk about you. And I remember when I did live in Chile, mm. uh, we were sitting at lunch table. I'll never forget this moment. And I told one of my peers, I'm going to go to the U.S. and I am going to reach my covers and I am going to, you know, be something. And you mm. know, everyone was laughing at me. And uh, for so many years, I used negativity as a form of propulsion for my energy. You know, like mm -hmm. I'd be at the gym at 9, 8, 9 p.m. Sorry, on Sundays or Saturdays where everyone else is having fun and partying. I'd be at the gym and I would tell myself, oh, I'm going to prove everyone wrong. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. Over the years, I realized that's not the type of energy you want to feed yourself from. But it did serve its purpose um, yeah. initially to get me to get me going and, and defy all odds. And, you know, people unfortunately will only believe when they see instead of believing without seeing a uh, definition of faith. But um, I always believe that, you know, me sacrificing all this time in college by studying and just being to the gym would eventually pay off. And I don't regret one single second of doing the, the actions, I, the actions I took, mm -hmm. um, but it was, it's rough, you know, in the beginning and everyone who has a dream or, or wants to accomplish something and they, they tell other people they're going to get their, most of their dreams crushed. It's very hard to find someone supportive, genuinely supportive who says, Oh, I believe you. Let me do, let me see what I can do to help you out. Do you think in general, it's, I don't want to say like jealousy, like it is the jealousy and seeing somebody do something different is that people are just like, why are you trying to be not fitting with the crowd? Like people just expect you to do the same as everybody else. Do you think it goes down to that? I believe, you know, as you grow up, you start realizing that what people say could actually become reality versus when you're that age, mm. you know, it doesn't matter what you say, you know, people don't really take you seriously. So um, I wasn't obviously preoccupied that no one took me seriously. I was more in the mode, in the mood of um, I'll show them. You know, I'll yeah. show them with actions. And it took years, you know, it wasn't just like I got here freshman year and I got my first magazine cover, but um, it took years of using those moments and the times of need to propel me. Um, yeah, jealousy happens in any age, though. You can mm. be 12, you can be 55, you can be 80. Yeah. Um, it's always going to be there. Um, and it, you know, even I was jealous of people who were doing better than me back in the day, but. Again, it was only a few years ago when I changed a lot of my habits that I realized jealousy doesn't serve you. It's an emotion that simply has no purpose uh, for betterment. So mm -hmm. I choose not to choose certain emotions in my life, which, you know, uh, I'm very open about uh, my life. I, I, you mm -hmm. know, I've been in therapy so many years and my therapist used to tell me, you know, I think it's not good. It's not healthy to eliminate emotions that don't serve you. You still need to feel them. You just yeah. have to choose whether you want to act on them or not. And my, my, my philosophy with my therapist was very simple. I used to say, I don't even, if there's simply no purpose and it doesn't fit with my needs, I'm not going to feel them. So I've been accused of uh, lacking empathy, lacking sympathy, um, being cold. But those are the emotions that serve me to grow and be a better person. So I am no longer 
And I do no longer take advice from others unless I'm asking it. And yeah. I do no longer um, feed into the emotions that I know simply won't won't do anything for me. So, and I learned a lot of that with training uh, a lot of government officials, military, uh, Marines, and Rangers. They used to tell me that the way they were able to do what they did is by shutting down emotion. Um, one of the hardest things you'll ever be able to do because, you know, I mean, you really have to, just like, just like any skill, you have to practice it. Yeah, that's it. Um, I mean, I'm very emotional, so <laughs> I need to practice uh, a lot. Yeah. But like to be able to do that must take so much mental training to get yourself into place to have that like, level of control over yourself. It takes pain. You know, let's be honest, mm. it takes pain in life. And I've been through a lot of hardship in life that, you know, has caused tremendous amount of pain to the level where I'm like, I just don't want to feel like this anymore. So either I control the precursors to those emotions, you know, meaning if I'm feeling like I am going to get jealous of something, I start analyzing the steps uh, before that even happens. Um, or I eliminate myself out of a situation that potentially could cause me to feel that emotion. Mm -hmm. um, and the way I see life and I see emotions and I see humans, we're all, uh, we're all energy. You know, we yeah. are, you know, the matrix pretty, pretty much put it in, in, in a really nice way. We are a battery cell. Mm -hmm. um, but that energy can also, you know, you cannot destroy uh, energy and you cannot create any energy. It can only get transferred or uh, reformatted. So, the same way that, you know, you can take water and make it into steam and then use that steam as energy to propel a train or propel a device. I just simply change my feelings of anger, emotion, or anger, jealousy, or resentment towards emotions that actually serve me that I can use towards actions that mm -hmm. can be better. But, yeah. you know, being jealous or being angry is the, you know, the I forgot if it's the Buddhist or the Taoist philosophy that pretty much says it's like drinking the poison and expecting your enemy to die. So the joke whenever I meet my teammates or athletes or anyone else from outside of Colorado is the joke with me is has always been um they always ask me if uh if I'm smoking weed because in Colorado cannabis is a very legal substance and I'm like no I don't and everyone just seems it just seems like you're way too relaxed and way too neutral all the time to be not high and I'm like no I just know how to control my emotions, if they don't serve me and they're going to get me in trouble, there's no need to act upon it. And most people say, well, that's what make you, makes you human. Um, and then I use one of Elon Musk's quote that he said a long time ago, being human doesn't mean you have to um, serve the needs of what your body's feeling. You can actually shut some things down and become a better person with it. So I took that to my, you know, to my own uh, body. I'm like, I believe it's true. If you can control your emotions and you can change your state of mind, you honestly have the power to do anything. Do you think that um, being in the U.S., going to the U.S., has helped you get to that way of thinking, or do you think it's your experiences? So it's not where you go; it's what you learn from it and apply it. But um, you know, your degree comes from what you choose to apply it with. I mean, you could graduate from Harvard with a business degree and someone could graduate from some community college, the community college person, you know, has more passion, more ambition. He could easily beat the Harvard kid. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't matter where you do what you, where you go. It's what you use the information and knowledge for, because at the end of the day, I've also learned that everything in life is about marketing and business, you know? So it's not who it's not, if you're the best at what you do, it's, are you the best at solving the needs of the people and actually caring about them? Once you do that and you apply your knowledge, you're in a good position. But if you're greedy and you're just using knowledge to your advantage to make money and not actually helping people, your business isn't going to last that long, especially yep. in my in my field. Um, the U.S. just served 
the right purpose for everything that I needed. I always also tell everyone, don't compare my results of my timing to what you want because uh, you know, every 10 year, every generation is different. Back in the day, there was no social media. Mm. Um, it was all print magazines were actually print. Yeah. So, you know, you can give advice to someone, but that advice has to be applicable to their current standard and generation. At the time, it's like, I want to be on the front cover. And now it might be, I want to be verified on Instagram. You know, it's like people's goals have probably changed during um, mm-hmm. everything else that's going on. What, um, what age did you do your first competition? I actually did my first competition at 18. I got here in the U.S. I had absolutely jack idea about how to compete. So... I remember going to the college rec center and I went to the biggest guy I could find, like the one that no one wanted to talk to. And I went up to him and I introduced myself. I said, Hey, I'm a foreign kid. I'm 18. I really have a passion for lifting. Could you give me some advice? And he was the nicest person. Um, He helped me with my first show. He gave me advice. He helped me with posing and I took uh, third place, but there's also, there were only three, three teenagers so technically i was last yeah but i got a nice little trophy and it it, you know it uh it it inspired me but i knew that i had to get bigger because back Mm. in the day there was there wasn't a division that i competed in there was only bodybuilding for men so Mm -hmm. um i took two years stepped off and i just you know added 50 pounds of muscle on me for two years ate like a pig for two years just i could gain that size and then i came back and i won my first yeah i I won my first uh show at 21 i was the overall champion and i'm like okay there's something here that i can do yeah um that's crazy you must have been eating so much food like every day for those two years of just any calories good calories when you're trying to bulk are you still trying to be like i need to stick to the healthy type well at that age you know what i was 21 18 19 20 21 i was still in college and um I wasn't allowed to work in the U.S. because I was on a student visa. The only place I was allowed to work was in the campus, and I wasn't really in the mood to work in campus. So I had to keep a budget pretty pretty low. Mm. Um, my go-to was ramen noodles um, with 80-20 ground beef like three times a day, and it was like two packs of ramen noodles. So I'd be eating six packs of ramen noodles a day. Nice. Um, and uh, throwing tuna because it's cheap, right, in the can, just, yeah. you know, 50 cents of tuna. <laughs> and then the other one was rice and also ground beef because it's high in fat. So I would eat that all day. And then when I became sponsored at 21, I started, you know, just asking for the uh, weight gainer. So I was have, having 4,000 calories liquid every day oh my um, to gain that weight. And I remember looking at pictures, I'm like, Man, I'm just straight up fat. I'm not even like, I'm just <laughs> I, I'm just fat. the shape of a ramen bowl right now. <laughs> yeah, I was like, my ex-wife back in the day was like, he's like, dude, you're just fat now. I know you work out, but you're just fat. Like, you got to do something about this. Dude. Hell. It's like, no, no, and no, so, I'm just bulking. I'm bulking. And it's like, yeah, no, I'm no. <laughs> you and, fat. Uh, it was during that time that the new category got introduced, the men's physique category. And I said, you know, this fits me best. I don't want to be... 511 um sitting at 260 pounds i don't feel like that's structurally good for me so then when this new division was introduced i'm like that's me that's my face right there and um you know i I took a a leap of faith and i couldn't have uh, been more right as much as i when i was 16 17 18 i wanted to be the biggest i could possibly be already by the age of 22 i was realizing that that would cause some problems because i already had friends who were 25 and were sitting at 300 pounds in the off season 
And I'm just looking at them, you know, they have uh, re respiratory problems that sleep apnea because the body's just crushing all their lungs. They had a lot of joint problems because the muscles are constricting on the ligaments and tendons, uh, no cardiovascular health, um, a lot of use of anabolic steroids. I was just like, I just don't want my path to go down with that way, you know, and I know yeah. that's what it takes. Um, so once that division was created, I said, you know what, I'm going to slim down, stay at a good symmetry and proportion and body fat and then see how it goes. And again, it went perfectly, you know, like the body, my body was used as a prototype on the website for generations to come when the sport came. So I was like, you know what? Perfect. Amazing. I don't have to keep eating, you know, an entire pizza a day or, you know, <laughs> oh my God, I was having Chipotle Qdoba uh, twice a day, you know, I was like, oh, my blood pressure at 23 was like super high. Oh my I was like, this is not what I want. This isn't healthy. You know, I wanted to be a very lean fitness model. I never had the intention of being a big bodybuilder, you know, yeah. I, I, that's also when around that age, I started kind of like appreciating fashion and, you mm -hmm. know, some higher end luxury brands. And I knew that no luxury brand would ever create a size for bodybuilders. So I was like, I'm not <laughs> sacrificing my looks either. You're like, I want to wear cool clothes and look good in them. <laughs> if I can't fit yes. my jeans, what am I supposed to wear my What's bottom? the point? No, yeah. don't like it. I mean, I was actually going to ask, like, what, um, well, how have you found the negative like, long-term effects on your body and health? But I suppose you just mentioned it with the route that you chose. You avoided a lot of those negative long-term effects. Do you feel like you have managed to sort of dodge it a little bit? I solve those issues now, but it took mm -hmm. me about nine years to re resolve them um i even that's what my first book was published about was the uh, idea that the perfect body or the perfect image of a shell would create the perfect life because we're always told that there's an image mm -hmm. for success and i mean image um image being you know you're the the guy who travels the world he's got a six-pack he's making seven figures you know and you always connect that body to the image right you don't yeah. see this is what I love. You don't see Coca-Cola advertising their real customers who the drink, you know, who drink their sodas. You see the happy people who are skinny and and, and you know family and life. everyone's having a great the love. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and I find it fascinating. In marketing, we use a lot of uh, strategies to make you feel like buying a certain product is going to change your life. And it's the same thing with the body. You know, you had these magazines and these pictures. This is even prior to social media that made it so much worse. But this image that, you know, if you have a six pack and you have some some definition that you're successful. So um, during that time, you know, you know, increasing weight, decreasing weight, increasing weight, decreasing weight. I uh, developed eating disorders. I was a binge closet eater. So like in public, I would be this perfect specimen. You know, I'd go out in public, eat my salad and my chicken, drink water. But then when I got home, I'd be eating chocolates and, and, and you know, any dessert and ordering food. And I just realized, you know, after nine years, this isn't healthy. I mean, you, if you really start thinking the, 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 the ground foundation of what it is to compete, you're in a beauty pageant uh, for your body. Mm -hmm. And so you have a, general, uh, a panel of judges who have probably never even lifted in their life. And somehow they got selected to be the judges to analyze how your body looks. Yeah. And so one day they might like brunettes. One day they might like blondes. One guy likes bigger legs. One guy likes tighter abs. Yeah. And being subjected to nine years of that, you know, it messes up with your mind because you're never good enough. Even when you're in first place, even when you're pro, even when you're top 10 in the world, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be something that someone's going to perceive you as it's not the, the perfect physique. 
And so besides, you know, being a closet eater, I also developed orthorexia, which is the fear of certain food groups. So I had a fear of carbs. What it caused me was just, uh, you know, beyond the orthorexia, beyond the binge closet eater, was tremendous body image dysmorphia. Now, um, we all have body dysmorphia. To, to someone to say genuinely to themselves, I think I'm perfect, is an extreme rare attribute. I would even safely say maybe a 1% out of 99% of people, right? We're always going to find one little thing that we don't like about ourselves. Um, normal, maybe one or two things. Abnormal is everything about yourself. So I would look at my arms, my chest, my, my body became literally an anatomy chart that I had to break it down in order to figure out how to train it in order to look my best. And obviously that causes problems, right? Cause yeah. there's always going to be someone better. There's always going to be someone better, better looking, more money, richer, whatever that may be. There's always going to be someone. So we're stepping on stage with some of the top fitness models in the country. And it doesn't matter how much confidence you have, you start doubting yourself. You had all of this going on, but you still did it for such a long period of time. Do you think, was it something that you, in the moment, you didn't really feel aware of the actual psychological issues that you were developing? And it's only when you look back, you really feel like, okay, things went right. Towards the end, you start realizing the problems, right? Mm. So I started doing blood work and it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also was very negative. My, uh, my uh, fiance would always be like, you're always complaining about when you're going to eat next. You're always complaining about working out. You're always complaining about something and you wake up already exhausted and you go to bed even more tired. Mm. She goes, why are you making this choice for yourself? And I didn't realize back in the day that I was choosing this for myself. Back in the day, it was more like, I liked the attention. I liked, you know, being, you know, the name of a new uh, division. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it gave me purpose. It gave me meaning. And when you're given that purpose and meaning, mm-hmm. it's very hard to, you know, take yourself away from uh, that situation. Yeah. But it took, obviously, like I mentioned, my fiance to be the one who, who, who said, um, you're complaining every day. Like you're, you're looking so forward towards the future to end that you're not enjoying the present. And that's when the light bulb clicked. And I'm like, I can't be this way. I can't spend the rest of my life complaining about every single day, which, you know, that's one of the consequences of being exhausted, you know, training three times a day on 1500 calories. I mean, your body just goes through this literal starvation mode. Yeah. It goes through starvation mode, but you don't know any better because Mm. the truth is when you're talking to your friends and who are competing, they all feel that way. So this becomes a normality for you. You know, That's feeling circle, sick and like, tired is what yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, it's what you know. It's it's what's expected. In fact, there's so many bodybuilding coaches that say that you're supposed to feel like shit the last few days of your prep. So mm-hmm. it's expected. If you're not feeling crap, then you're not doing a good job. And so that's just the normality. You know, feeling like crap is good, right? That's crazy, um, isn't it? Like that, because then you kind of like, well, if I'm not feeling like crap, then I've done something wrong, and I actually I'm not doing push something myself well, yeah. to then feel like crap, and then it's just that vicious cycle of now I feel like crap. <laughs> but the, but you said it correct. It's a cycle. Mm-hmm. That's why and a vicious cycle when it is. That's why I did it for eight nine years. Not only was I good at it, and that's why I sacrificed more at it, mm-hmm. but I kept getting the reward from you know trophies, magazines, sponsors, people admiring me. That feeds into the you know the loop of keep doing it um had i not accomplished what i had accomplished i don't know if i would have done it for that many years 
my fiance has found me several times passed out on the treadmill. She's found me several times just laying on the floor as if I was, I don't know, taking some sort of drug, just hallucinating no. simply because of the way, you know, the nutrition makes you feel. And um, she's like, why do you keep doing this to yourself? And I had this mindset back in the day that only the strongest make it alive, right? A very, again, a very military um, very drill tough. thing that I got bombarded very young. Yeah. So suck it up, suck it up, suck it up. You can do it. And that's what I did for eight years. Just suck it up, suck it up, suck it up, suck it up. You know, and all my uh, my relationships, all these women that always that always tell me, you're great to look at, but you're a pain in the ass to deal with. So I'm going to go to the next guy. <laughs> it's not like, we do not want any more chicken and rice and vegetables. <laughs> I want a greasy well, it affects, <laughs> Yeah, it affects every aspect of your life. And people don't understand that. Every mm-hmm. aspect of your life gets changed by this one hobby or AKA life that you choose. You know I mean? It's no longer a hobby because it's now affecting every other aspect of your life. Yeah. Um, but I was proud back in the day to be uh, this ab- abnormal thing. You know, I still am in, in a sense, I don't like to be considered normal. I like to be different because one of my mentors back in the day had taught me that normality is the death of um, life. Mm-hmm. So you have to have something different. And that mentality kept going. You can do it, you know, what, how's a minute, you know, minute three or four in the treadmill. And I had 45 minutes. I'm just repeating that to myself. Keep going, keep going. Even though I was just a zombie, literally just a zombie on the treadmill several times. But hey, you know what? You do what you got to do in order to be number one. That's all it is. How would you say the body industry world has changed over the years? It got worse. It got worse. Really? (laughs) It got worse because now you have social media in, in, in there. So now, not only do you have to be lean to step on stage, you have to be lean for your posts because that's, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the old good old saying where attention goes, energy flows, right? Yeah. So, you know, what is social media these days, the fitness industry that people are getting millions of followers? Let's, let's be true. It's, it's um, you know, very pr- provocative pictures of women and men. Yeah. And, you know, the key term fitness is far, far from that image because, like I said, I've, I've posed hundreds of times for a cover or for an ad feeling like total, total, total crap. Dehydrated for three days, you know, spray tan, oiled up, no carbs, no water, no this, no salt. Just so that I can shoot for a cover that literally says, become the best version of yourself. I mean, it's the hardest thing from the truth. That's crazy, that's isn't it? That's like complete it contrast. It's like you've got, you're selling, you're selling this dream and actually if someone actually just saw the behind the scenes, then they'd say it's yeah. nothing like that at all. But no, then, and it's, it's completely bogus. And that's why after a while, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't pretend to be healthy on the outside when I'm literally rotting in the inside. Do you think that social media has had a positive or negative effect on bodybuilding? Like, are people being more honest about what's happening or do people still use it as a way to edit their bodies to look a certain way? I think people do what's best for them, not what's best for others. And that what I mean with that is if you have the person who's being honest about, you know, the sacrifices, the truth, you got to gotta ask yourself, are they doing that because they also want attention from telling the truth? Or are they really being honest about helping others? Because I have, you know, I'm not going to mention names. I've met countless uh, Instagram celebrities, uh, fitness icons in the industry mm. who make those posts just so they can sympathize with the people and get more followers and get more comments. Um, that's why I've dedicated my Instagram just for information. Like, I only educate. 
98% of the time, it's just three tips for this or three tips for that. Rarely I'll put a little quote, you know, honestly, I'll probably do that because I don't have time to create content, but, um, I don't know. I, my honest opinion is that I don't believe anything I see on social media. Mm. Um, I've seen way too many people on social media who, you know, present this side, but in real life, they're this side. Yeah. Or I've been to expos where, you know, people are waiting three hours to meet their icon. And I know these people, I just go say hi to them and they tell me things like, oh my God, I can't wait for all these a-holes to get out of this line so I can go home. And I'm like, you do realize these people are waiting three hours to just take a picture with you and meet you. Yeah. And that's your perception of them. But on social media, they're like, smiling happy like, and I so, my yeah. you know yeah so i'm not trying to be the negative guy i've just seen the truth and it's very hard to go back to a side where um i believe every what everyone says because i literally like 80 percent of people i've met are extremely deceitful as to what the image or or message is of health mm. and what i find interesting and it's not the people who are the most chiseled or um you know, who are the leanest, it's the people who are actually more normal. Like they have a good percent of body fat and they have jobs and they have families. Those are more real because yeah. they're actually putting what's in their head and what's going on in daily life. Yeah. But what people need to realize is the word health is like the word success. It's yeah. extremely subjective. If health to you means having a you know good blood profile and cholesterol and so it gives, everything is fine, great. It's the same thing with success. You know, yeah. what is success to someone, you know, what is success from, from this person to that person? Some people might think it's materialistic things. Some mm -hmm. people might think it's fame. It's the same thing with health, you know? So I tell people, you know, read your Instagram posts and take it for what it is, but, you know, define to you what it really means to be healthy or successful because um, if you're going to be under someone else's expectation of what that word means to you, then you're going to be seeking this forever, you know? And I learned that the last two, three years. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, you're going to be seeking this thing that doesn't exist like you're never going to be able to uh, compete with something that's not even real itself you know like no and, those and you expectations. Know how many, yeah there's no uh, you know so many times i've had clients walk in and pull their phones and you know pull their favorite social media fitness icon and be like i want to look like this mm. and i'm like do you really want to look like that because i'll tell you right now what you're gonna have to sacrifice and once they hear the sacrifices, they're like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> but you told me you wanted to be like that person. I can get you to be that person. Mm. But I'm telling you right now, this is what you're going to sacrifice. And then oftentimes they think I'm being negative or I'm not wanting to help them. But the reality is I know the truth. And when you know the truth about what it takes to get to a certain point, people don't always want that. It's Again, it's the same concept of success and money. Mm. People want it. People don't want to work for it. And yeah. so we're in a society right now that has to be everything fast, 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 which makes it 10 times even worse because now you'll see a 19, 20-year-old with a Greek-like body with a lot of enhance artificial enhancements. Mm. But now your 16-year-old is looking at that and saying, holy crap, if he looks like that at 20, I need to rush my goals to look like that at 20 as well because otherwise I'm not going to be successful or popular in college. Yeah. So you know, the sport has completely changed since I've been in it. Back in the day, it was magazines, it was covered. It was kind of mm -hmm. cool. Um, there were still a lot of side effects, don't get me wrong. But today, I think it's way worse because now you got an entire generation who's uh, on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook looking at people of potentially what they could be, but they forget these people have invested maybe 12, 15 years building a brand. But um, at that age, let's be honest, 16, 17, 18, even up to your 30s, uh, you don't care what you do your body as long as you achieve the physical look of it um 
it doesn't matter what it does to your health. Mm-hmm. You know, when the Kardashians start publishing all their weight loss, I had a lot of people, oh, I want to look like the Kardashians who lost their weight in 30, 60, 90 days. I'm like, first of all, let's, let's make it clear that the Kardashians had probably two trainers a day, a nutritionist, a dietitian, someone to cook their food, and, you know, they had everything already done for them. That's yeah, it's not, not like someone working a nine to five job during the day and then on the evening they're no. making dinner, putting the kids to bed. Like they've got a completely different Exactly. Lifestyle. So yeah. again, the media does push these fast results, which they can happen. Don't get me wrong. But 90% of the time you don't see the aftermath of those fast results. You only see what they want, want to sell or, or see. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's just a very complicated world we live in because um, we're projected the image of success and health and body, but if you don't fit that parameter, um, or you and you know you don't fit that parameter, then what are your choices? What do you do? Mm-hmm. So if you have a person who's got three kids and they're working two jobs um, and barely have any time for themselves, and they see these images, the first thing they think to themselves is, um, "I can't do this." And instead of you know working on habits, small habits, yeah. to get closer to the end result, they just give up entirely. Or do something stupid like a detox diet or a tea diet or some something like, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, this, this stuff doesn't work. Why do you do this? But it's because it's being advertised. And if it's advertised, it must be true. I am surprised that there is still people using these detox teas as this quick fix because you would have thought that by now people would realize that it isn't quite as simple as that. I mean, there are so many people that walk in here that unfortunately, because of lack of education, do these things. Mm. Um, one of the questions, you know, I always ask any consultation is what have you done in the past and why has it not achieved the results that you were looking for? And I mean, I hear everything. I mean, everything you can think about that, you know, might not be the most intellect choices are the ones that they think are the best for them. Um, one, one client was telling me the other day about the Madonna air diet. I'm like, what the hell is what the Madonna is air diet? <laughs> You're supposed to take t- 10 deep breaths in order to expand your lungs and expand your stomach so that you feel fuller before you eat. What? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I actually spent time Googling this to see if it was true or someone was making And it is true? It is true. <laughs> Just Google the air diet. I'm going to be definitely doing this later. I'll be there like breathing, like it's not working. (laughs) I know. It's terrible. Um, Am I right that they still allow performance enhancing drugs in the competitions? Absolutely. Unless unless you're competing in a national... Look, this is what I find fascinating. Um, Why is it that we watch Formula One racing in NASCAR? It's because the cars, the engines are tuned up to be 10 times faster than a normal car. As humans are fascinated with what's not normal, right? What's not technically achievable by normal standards. And so let's be honest, if you put 15 Toyota Priuses in a NASCAR lane, it would get bored. You wouldn't be able to sell that. So when it comes to bodybuilding, and I mean that, you know, when we, when we talk about bodybuilding, I'm not just talking about males, I'm talking about females too. Yeah. Um, Anyone who tells you they're natural, 99% of the time, they're full of crap. They're taking some sort of enhancement. And they'll tell you, oh, no, this is approved by this organization. This is approved by that organization. And there's so many ways to spin it. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's not natural because you're putting it synthetically in your body. And so, no, organizations are not going to test for these things because it's generating them lots of money. Um, and bodybuilding is one of those things like 
do you really want to sit there and see a guy who's 5'10", 175 pounds? Or do you really want to sit there and watch a guy who's 5'10", 275 pounds? It's that, you know, almost like weirdness to it that yeah. we want to see. I don't want to say a circus show, but it's got that unique element to it where people are just pretty like, much. wow, this yeah. is this is that I've never been never be able to achieve or maybe I could achieve if I tried all these different things but I get I mean do you think people are aware that everybody just use all these different enhancers or do you think some people actually are trying to achieve something naturally that they probably never will be able to achieve naturally it's both I mean um I've seen countless people who I mean swear to god that these people are natural and there's people who just know about it and clearly know that it's not natural um, I can take a look at a body and 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 say to myself, that person's not natural. It's just, you can look at the skin, you can look at the uh, vascularity, you can see the muscle density. There are key factors you can take a look at the body and be like, that's not natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly enough, um, it's more recreational than competitive as far as the danger sides because they don't know what they're doing. Recreational uh, people who go to the gym on a daily basis use these substances uh, way more commonly and then much higher doses than a professional athlete who knows exactly what to do with them. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, whether you believe or not they're using, it, it's up to someone. What I will say, though, is it doesn't matter how much of something you might take it won't work the way most people think it does. So the way I explain it to everyone is it's like a turbo in a car engine. You just don't turn an engine and that turbo activates itself and the car just starts flying away. You have to reach X amount of kilometers per hour or miles per hour. And then that turbo gets enough oxygen for it to, you know, to actually do what it does. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with uh, PEDs and anabolic steroids. You have to, you have to eat healthy. You have to, I wouldn't even say healthy. Sorry, that's that's wrong. Where you have to eat for your goals, and yeah. you have to train for those goals, and then these substances will have the advantage that they're supposed to do. But it's not, you know, just people have this idea that you take a pill and then you know magically the next day you're a whole different person. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. You still have to put a lot of effort and work. So that's why I still have respect for these substances. Yeah. But what I don't have respect is for when people ask, "Oh, are you natural?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, hundred percent." I'm like. Like, really? who, who are you like, trying to kid? <laughs> yeah, and I understand that. It's a very taboo uh, subject. In fact, I was on a Netflix show uh, talking about these substances. And again, it just go, it, it, it goes back to media. And I, I have a prime, prime example right here. One of my favorite cartoon shows that I've always watched is Dragon Ball. Um, you know, you look at this, at this character, this guy's got more muscles and veins than anything else, right? It's, yeah. He's very, very muscular. And this is what kids see as a standard of a male figure. It's this they love that you body. have a figurine on your desk right now. <laughs> That's well, hell yeah. I have a whole collection <laughs> at the house. <laughs> I'm, like I said, I'm a total video game and, 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 uh, and a gaming and, and anime geek. But um, let's go back to 50 years ago. Toys weren't this muscular. Mm. I mean, I, I took his arm by accident. But like, I mean, his <laughs> arm, like this dude is jacked, you know. Um, <laughs> Too many but ramen. What I do like about the cartoon the is that they still they still work out though, right? They still work yeah. out on the show, which is so cool. But what I'm saying is the image of a body that is normal no longer attracts or appeals to marketing. So you will do whatever the hell it takes um, to be at the your A game. Um, and anyone who's competing at a professional or national level is by far very natural. Um, the scary part is the women. You'd be you'd be surprised 
how many influencers and how many competitors are there using performance enhancing drugs uh, to look a certain way. Their mm. excuse is, oh, I'm just using a little bit of it. Well, a little bit can go pretty far when you dedicate yourself to your nutrition and training. Yeah. And so, um, but again, I don't, I have nothing against them. It's, it's, it's someone's choice the same way. And I mean, this the same way uh, we choose to do Botox. We choose to do chemical peels to do, you know, whatever the hell we cosmetic surgeries, we are taking away what's natural and having something modified. So I don't have a problem with anyone using their substances uh, until it affects their health. And so you have to be very smart with these substances. You can't just be injecting things because you know, your, your buddy there injects the same amount of quantity. And so it's very smart to get blood work done and measure how blood pressure, because these are things that get affected, you know, use it, but use it wisely. It is a shame that there is this such taboo around the use of it because I guess if people are going to be using it anyway, then at least if there was more help and support around the use of it, then it can be done safely. And actually people in the competitions can also have a much more fair chance than going against people if some people are on it, some people are not, you know? That's exactly what happened here in Colorado with uh, cannabis, right? Cannabis has always been a drug that's been frowned upon for decades. Um, in fact, there's a lot of court cases happening right now because a lot of people, you know, 10 years ago went to jail for 10 years for selling $20 of marijuana. But now that the state is legal, you know, shouldn't these people get out to jail? Um, so it's the same thing. It was well researched, it was provided, information was provided to uh, the population. And now, you know, people can buy it anywhere as, as a recreational uh, accessory. The next thing in Colorado is going to be uh, shrooms because Colorado, it's decriminalized but it's not legalized as in marijuana is decriminalized and legalized. So you can sell it, but Oregon already has both. And it all again, originated with research, educating the people, what can people use this stuff for? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of PTSD studies have have shown the use of shrooms and cannabis has helped Mm -hmm. um, so on and so forth. So it's exactly the same thing. But you know, if you want prescribed testosterone, you can go to a HRT or TRT clinic and get Mm -hmm. that prescribed by a doctor. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the rules are interesting. You know, there's no set rules that says this is right, this is wrong, um, unless we're talking about extreme cases where it obviously damage someone from the first dose. But the super interesting fact is there are no 100% recorded death cases related to anabolic steroids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think anabolic-related steroid, uh, steroid deaths are number 212 in the list of deaths. Whereas obesity and smoking, because of fast or poor poor nutrition choices and all that, those are number one and number two. That's where mm. we spend most of our, you know, attention towards. True, but then I suppose it's potentially not always the. I guess the focus isn't the deaths; it's more the causes that then it leads to whether that's right. the impact that it has on the Yeah, you'd actually be surprised that the, the the most common cause for death in the bodybuilding world is actually nothing to do with steroids. It's actually uh, diuretics mm. because when competitors are getting to those extremes and they start taking pharmaceutical diuretics, you know, diuretics that you're only supposed to have for medicinal purposes like cancer or edemas, mm-hmm. when they start abusing those substances, then even the plasma from the heart decreases and, and dies. So at least three or four people die a year because they dehydrated so much of their body that, you know, there's no more plasma for the, for the heart to pump. So you hear that often at least, you know, a few times a year, but you never hear of, you know, the other stuff. Mm. 
What do you think the reason is that people struggle to reach the goals that they are set? Like, do you find there's often a reoccurring pattern? I have two theories. One is education and the second one is discipline. Because mm. you can know something and not apply it, then the information is pointless. Um, but you can also not know something and do it incorrectly. Right. So mm. I find that discipline, oh, sorry, first education and second discipline. Yeah. Um, so most of the people who come in here, it's uh, knowledge, education. They don't know how to achieve the body they, they want. They have an idea, which is fine, right? Because if you have a toothache, you don't try and take care of that yourself. If you <laughs> yeah. have mechanical problems with the car, unless you have knowledge on an extent knowledge on cars, you take it to a mechanic. So if you have nutritional and fitness needs, mm. you should go to a trainer. That has become a problem because everyone now feels that they can do everything online with YouTube and, you know, all these different apps and all these different things. Yeah. And they don't reach their goals too, because they realize, you know, uh, well, there's always an excuse, right? Oh, it's time, it's money, it's resources. But um, once they realize they could even potentially have all the resources and tools, even from us, mm. um, then it's, it's a discipline part. And so I even tell every single consult that walks through my doors, I explain it. Look, I'm not the best trainer in the world. I am not, the, I'm not going to give you the best program in the world. Um, my trainers, my employees are not the best in the world. Now, that being said, the true magic happens within you. You're presented with multiple choices on a daily basis. That's what life is. Choice A is going to get you closer to your goals. Choice C is going to get you farthest from your goals. It's up to you. It's nothing to do with me. Back in the day, I used to take it very personally if my clients did not achieve their bodies because I thought it was lack of mentorship and leadership. Mm -hmm. But then I realized I can lead an army to war, but once they get there, if they don't know how to fight, they're going to lose. So it has to be a combination of, you know what you're supposed to do because I gave that information to you. Mm -hmm. Now you have to apply on a consistent basis. And I thought I explained to everyone, look, I am no monk. You know, people think that I'm this religious monk that meditates and doesn't drink alcohol and doesn't have fun with their friends and, you know, (laughs) all this stuff. I'm like, but here's the difference. I've also done 15 years of education and I still have many years. So I know how my body works. I'm moving nine hours a day in the gym just by training clients. Then I do cardio kickboxing and training on top of that. So you can't compare my metabolism with someone else. Uh, people would love to do that. Oh, my sister got in this program. She lost, you know, 60 pounds in a year. I'm going to do the same thing as her. It doesn't work that way. And that's what that, that that's the problem with the personal training industry is we're not perceived as, and I don't expect to like, you know, a higher educational professional, like a lawyer or a doctor or something. But um, once you know you have an education and you don't apply it, then it's, it's, it's a problem of lack of discipline. Mm. And discipline is, is really hard to achieve. I mean, I achieved discipline at a young age because I did start competing. So I do have competing to give thankful, thankfulness for as far as the discipline habits I, I've created. And I was able to transfer those habits into work ethics. You know, work, waking up at, you know, five in the morning, for example. Yeah. Uh, creating habits that serve me versus, you know, be against me. But for someone who's been doing the same thing for 35 years, to, to have to teach them new discipline or new habits takes time. Someone who's not ever had that discipline and they're now on this new fitness journey and they're like, okay, I've got the time and I've got the, like, the desire, but it's still to create that routine. Like, is it what they say? Like, it takes like 30 days to create a habit, right? I, I don't even believe that it's 21, but I don't even believe that because mm. um, 
I can give you a really, really easy example. Uh, back in the day, I used to uh, use mouth gargle, you know, after brushing my mm. teeth every day. Uh, then out of nowhere, I realized that my the inlining on my, my mouth started peeling. And so I had a client who was a doctor or a dentist, and I asked her, hey, uh, the inner lips and everything, I, I, I take a little piece of skin. She's like, oh, does your mouthwash have alcohol? I said, it does. So she's like, you're very sensitive to the alcohol in the mouthwash. So don't use, don't use mouthwash with alcohol. Mm. Um, because I did not buy one without alcohol. I just stopped completely the habit of even using mouthwash. So one small negative association affected the entire pattern of my execution. Now that's just me talking about mouthwash. Take mm. someone on a daily basis who has to go to the gym after work. There are hundreds of factors that are probably going to affect them negatively. The weather is a huge psychological factor for most people. Uh, daylight saving, it's like 4.30 and it's already dark here. Driving, you know, you get so many emotions when you're driving. Work, relationship, prof- you know, there's hundreds of little factors. So I explain to everyone, you have to eliminate all the factors and just go back to the simple uh, thought of what is it that you really want. It's not what you wish for because we have the tendency of saying, oh, I wish this or I wish that. No, it's... I want and I need this. So once you start rewiring the brain for the things you need and you want, there's no one who's going to stop you. But to get to that point, it's the small habitual daily habits that are going to get you there. So something very simple. I always tell all my clients, you have to drink a gallon of water every day. Like, oh my God, it's a gallon. I don't think I could ever drink that much. I explain, look, your body needs a minimum of a gallon of water every day for its optimal performance, brain function, organ function, cognitive so many functions. I tell them, what if such a small little thing could make a huge impact in your life? Wouldn't you do it? They're like, yeah. So once you start providing most people with the rewards they could benefit from small habits, they start having a bigger desire to change. And then that's when I, my, my number one job is to find fitness solutions to their problems. So someone tells me they don't drink enough water. I can find so many little solutions to make them remind that they have to drink water. Uh, one of my female clients, for example, she had uh, six hair bands on her uh, Apple Watch. And then after drinking, um, what was it, 15 ounces, she would wrap one little uh, hairband around her water bottle. So she knew she'd drink 15 ounces. Mm. So every 15 ounces, she'd take her hair tie. And by the end of the day, she would have her six hair ties wrapped around uh, her bottle. And she knew she had completed drinking a gallon in a day. So mm. it just depends on the person. You have to find different solutions. Now, mm. she worked at an office and a desk. So it's very simple for her to see that water bottle. Yeah. One of my best friends is a mechanic. He doesn't drink enough water, and he's not. He's moving all the time. So I told him, what is it that you see or touch or grab every day that is going to remind you of drinking water? He's like, well, in about every 30 minutes, I check my phone to see if there's any customer emails or anything. There you go. Put a background on your phone of water. As lame as that might seem, just put a picture of a water bottle on your desktop or screensaver on your phone. Mm -hmm. And once he did that, he got reminded of drinking more water. So... The one thing about fitness that I'm I'm very picky is finding custom solutions to every single one who walks in here or, or orders something online, because uh, you know unfortunately in current society due to social media and high demand, most fitness trainers are just giving a cookie cutter nutrition program or selling a pre made book. Yes. If you're not doing that with a physical item, why would you do that to your health? Mm. It's because most humans don't appreciate the health they have until something bad happens: aches, pain, headaches. Um, you know, skin, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. things you can see. Like if I see a client here that walks in, she tells me she's a runner and her skin is really dry. I know for a fact that she's undernourished. That's Mm -hmm. the first sign of undernourishment right there. Um, So 
if you're not going to buy the same, you know, you're not a random standardized t-shirt, why would you do that to your health? Right. Yeah. It's because most people don't appreciate what, what we have. We were given one single vessel to walk this earth. And most people don't care about it because they're so preoccupied with everything that's happening out there that they forget to work on what's in here. And so because we don't have these little lights, people don't pay attention to them unless it's too late. And then that's when we start taking care of ourselves. And so uh, it was Warren Buffett who said, uh, better than anyone else, if you had one car for the rest of your life, I guarantee you would be taking care of that car every single day to make sure you can get from point A to point B. That's what our bodies are. Right. You don't get you, you don't get to lease or buy a new car uh, or, you know, that's this is what you get. Yeah. And so when I try and explain to everyone that walks in here, it's like, look, I understand that finances, time, family, all these things are extremely important. But if you can't take care of yourself, none of that will matter. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to take care of your family if you're feeling sick. You're not going to be able to make money if you're not feeling well. You're not going to be able to do anything if your body and your health is not permitting you to do it. But we're so stubborn. Humans are the most stubborn creatures in the world that until something happens, there's a, a negative uh, loop. They're never going to you know, change it to a positive feedback in order to, to work for themselves. So this is what I do in my consults. I, I try and make them understand that it's not that you need my specific service. I don't care if someone were to buy the AC driven training package. I do care that they're doing something. So, you know, the best emails I can get is if someone says, Hey, I can't afford training with you guys. Is someone sending me an email a month later saying, Hey, I took your advice about walking and walking my dog and eating healthier. And I feel better that right there. Golden, right? Yeah, That's yeah. what we as personal trainers should be focusing on. It's not selling. It's about actually helping. That's you know, yeah, how can you be the, the, the best version of yourself with the tools that you Correct. have available to you at the right. time? Yeah, exactly. I've noticed that, you know, most of, you know, the most successful people that I work with, um, I mean, I'm not talking this, again, it goes back to this image of health and fitness means shredded six pack and pecs and glutes. No, most of my clients who have a five, you know, own a fortune 500 company or extremely successful or, or on TV or something, they do something physically active. They jog, they run, they do yoga, they use their Peloton bikes. They do something to stay active. And I've noticed that every single person who takes care of themselves is more financially successful because they have the time management to not only take care of themselves, they've learned that, you know, the better they feel, the better they're going to react to the world that's being presented to them. And you, you need that. Like, I feel like to be not having that separation from your day to be able to go out and do some sort of movement. Human biology and physiology was not meant to stay in cubicles or seated all day. No. Um, and it's actually one of my clients uh, who was actually back in the day a personal trainer. He stopped and became a loan mortgage officer, he said, Alex, um, I don't know if you do this, but I do the three B's every day. I'm like, what's the three B's? And he's like, brain, body, and behavior. You have to spend five minutes at least minimum a day on working on your body, on your brain, and your behavior. And I thought that was really smart. I told him, five minutes is great. I do I do 20 to 30 every day because I do meditation and reading. Um, so if you can work on reading or learning something new, You've, you've worked on the brain. If you can do something for the body, physically active, you're doing something ahead. And if you can work on your emotions, your spirituality, your religion, whatever that may be, in order to control both of those, mm-hmm. um, then you're working again towards the three Bs for success. There's a lot of, you know, letters, Bs and Ps, and, you know, what it doesn't matter. It is. Yeah. 
as in the day you're being more mindful of your body and what's going on in your circumstance on that period that period of time and what i told him about the behavior that is important is behavior is part of discipline so um most of us make our poorest decisions when we're hungry so you know we go to the grocery store we're hungry you buy the the dessert you buy the whole supermarket (laughs) yeah you know you are hungry as hell you're going through a food court you know the moment that smell that fast food hits you you're going to order that so working on the behavior part just simply means working also on the discipline so that Mm -hmm. even though your emotions are telling you to do this um you're actually doing the opposite because then after all once you take the the action towards the better the feedback loop will be positive instead of oh, I ate fast food, I feel really bad, I should work out. And that's where this connection of I should work out versus I want to work out is also mm-hmm. huge. There's a huge disconnection. So a lot of people tell me, oh, I got to work out. And look, don't get me wrong. There's days I'm sitting in my gym and I don't even want to look at a dumbbell. But <laughs> it's the mindset towards how you approach things that on the long term will also make the biggest changes. So if you're constantly saying, I don't want to do this, but I have to, you're not going to enjoy the journey. And most likely you're going to quit halfway through. But yeah. if you're like, oh my God, I get to work out. I have the privilege to actually work on my body. That's huge. Because again, when I worked with so many military personnel, and lost them, you know, no arms, no legs, no this, no that, or you know, you work with people that have absolutely nothing and, you know, they built their success uh, with themselves. Everyone understands you are privileged to even be breathing right now. But we don't think about those things. We only think about money, fame, Instagram followers, blah, blah, blah. If people were to simply sit down and understand um, that we as humans have the choice, the capability of changing like that, um, it's mind-blowing what you're, you what you can truly achieve. Um, and it's not that you change in one second. It's Most of the people, we have an accumulation of years or months of uh, pain that accumulate to the point where you're like, I can't take, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah, and you're, so you're, you're at options. your breaking point. Yeah. Yeah, but you have options. You can mm. maybe get drugged, you can go drink, or you can actually do the things that you've always procrastinated to do, which is work on yourself. But um, the majority of us don't like to talk to ourselves. We don't like to think about the choices, the actions, because then we start judging ourselves worse than our peers. Mm. Um, And you have to judge yourself. You have to know what kind of character, kind of person, what kind of intentions and uh, style of thinking you have. Because uh, we always talk about, you know, the five people around us are the people who are going to influence the most. Um, How do you stop them? Think to yourself that you are also one of those five people. You are the one who's talking to yourself every single day. And then it goes back again to social media. You know, we follow maybe hundreds of people to which we aspire to be. But a lot of times there's a lot of crap in those posts. So it's not even now the five people that you're closest to. It's actually the five people on Instagram you're constantly seeing. So being selective of where your energy and your attention goes can dramatically change your life as well. So I have a very selective group of people that I do certain actions with. I have friends that I travel with because they're really knowledgeable and fun to be around with. There's people that I, you know, have to sit down and talk about serious stuff. I have certain groups of people and to which I spend my most amount of energy with because mm-hmm. that makes sense to me. You know, I have my, my, my fiance calls it the directory of friendship, you know, green goes here, red goes here, blue goes here. <laughs> She's like, she, and, and it's a funny show. I was like, you don't ever, you know, put them never in one cross. room. And I'm like, no, I never cross. And I'm like, there's a purpose to that. Like, you know, <laughs> I'll never take my friends that are insightful and push them to the gym. It wouldn't work. You know, you don't take a car and throw it in the ocean and expect it to run. You get a boat. It's the same thing. I have a boat, I have a car, and I have a plane. 
I choose I, what to do. You're with never it. gonna have um, a big birthday party where you bring everybody together. Like, can imagine that would be an interesting time. Oh well, that's well, that's why you get a really long table because you put some groups here and you put another group there. You never put them in the middle, and I sit in the middle so I can control that. You mean like I'm gonna talk to you guys about this and you guys about that? <laughs> I'm super no. Do you know what? It's really interesting. And your circle of friends, like with the five people, is something I've heard so many times. But you really made a good point about how your social media feeds into that circle, like that theory of the five people. It's like that is a person in itself, just with lots of people within it. But that's still somebody you probably somebody. I like quotation marks around that. But you're seeing them more than probably those other four people that are on your list. Like. Um, absolutely you see this and especially if you click on someone because of the instagram algorithm you will see that person more often so you're yeah. more likely to see a specific person on instagram than you will see a real person in real life, in real every life day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the other thing is we are i mean we're we're, uh, we're humans of of, of, of um, we're creatures of, of habits and so the first thing the majority of us do these days when we wake up is pick up the phone and we start looking at social media mm-hmm. even if you're like not even aware that you're doing that most of us even i can be guilty of, of doing that a few times a week. So imagine the first thing you see in the morning, you know, you're, you know, you're a 26 year old overweight woman. And the first thing you see is this perfect, you know, model sitting on the beach uh, with a guy who has a six pack and there's a Lamborghini parked in the back. Uh, the first thing is I don't have this. I'm not like this. I'm not going to achieve this. I should work out. I should be eating healthier. And those patterns like immediately from the moment you you're wake waking up, up feeling are, are negative. Yeah. yeah, and you're negative. You know, you're not going to wake up positive saying, "Oh, I'm ready now to go to the gym." And very rarely people will have that. So when you start seeing these images and you start seeing them currently, um, it does affect your state of mind and it does affect your your, your levels of, of happiness because you're mm. constantly be reminding yourself, "I don't have any of this," and in order to get this, I'm going to have to change. And it takes change for change, and people don't like to change their normality. I have found that so interesting, and I do have some questions that I want to just do a quick question and answer fire round, which have been sent in. So I know some percent from your followers and from mine, which would be fab. So, what has been the hardest part about starting a business? Um, everything. <laughs> <laughs> I regret it all. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I literally tell people when they walk in and I do a concert and I say, you know, there's literally blood, sweat, and tears in this facility. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean, really, there's blood, sweat, and tears in this gym <laughs> building this place. I think the hardest thing is getting getting it going because um, you start thinking of all the negative things that could happen and you don't think of the possibilities of what could happen. Mm. So you have to have a mindset that no matter what, you have to constantly defy it, like, everything is going to go against all your odds and you just have to constantly believe in the cause of why you're opening a business. Now, if you start thinking that opening a business is just for the money, like you're looking for the money, trust me, the business isn't going to work in the long term because you're not going to have patience for all the, all the things that are going to happen throughout the years of that business. Right. You're not going to have a passion for it anymore. So, uh, the hardest thing is believing in your own business to begin with, you know, that you have the potential to change something in your community. Nice. Love it. Um, what would you tell your younger self in regards to opening a business? I suppose it kind of feeds into that, but would you give somebody top tips to be like, okay, before you even consider it, what should they think about first? Well, I've thought about that concept for a while. Like, so let's say, you know, the 10, the version of me right now, I went to the, to the, you know, at a time machine, I went back to the, to the past to, to give mm. myself advice. Yeah. I actually wouldn't have, I wouldn't do that. Because any action or any thought that I had at the moment, whether negative or positive, still ended me being here today. 
So I wouldn't give myself advice. However, um, someone else is giving me advice. Um, I would give it as far as far as if I was giving anyone else advice in their younger selves, I would say find find as this is one of those things that you'll you can go your whole life without finding, but find a purpose. Find something that, you know, even if you have a general idea that you can stick with. So mine's always been fitness and health. So I didn't know if I was gonna open a studio, if I was gonna move to California and keep working with, you know, celebrities. I didn't know if I was gonna end up in Japan and, you know, doing something there. I just knew that something in fitness and health would always keep me grounded. So if you can find something that gives you purpose, uh, just a general one, and it cannot be money. You cannot have this, uh, uh, you know, thing for money. You have to truly enjoy the process. So yeah. I'll give myself that advice of, you know, just keep working on your purpose and don't allow, try not to avoid all the hardships because it's truly the hardships that makes you. Mm. Yeah. Because we, we all think, you know, oh man, if I could go back in the past, I wouldn't date this girlfriend. If I could go back in the past, I wouldn't, you know, invest in this, you know? So it's all these things that you're like, but you weren't, you aren't who you are if it wasn't for your past. So I'm not saying the past defines you, you're in the present, but, you know, if you've learned from it, then you can take actions in the present so the future doesn't repeat the past. Yeah, completely. How often do you train? Do you train every day? I used to. Now I do five times a week. Um, I just, I choose the day that I know I'm going to be the busiest not to train because I don't want to add that additional action in my day. Um, so if I have, I don't know, seven clients, a business meeting, I have to be on TV or something like that, mm. I just decide I'm not going to do anything for that day. But five, easy, 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 five days out of the week, I'm doing at least. Is it all like uh, weights or is it like a mix of weights, cardio? I do everything. I, I, I really enjoy my cardio um, fasted in the morning. Uh, cardio has already shown in so many studies that it releases, you know, endorphins and dopamine and a lot of positive hormones that uh, actually make you think better during the day. So I love doing cardio in the morning fasted. And then halfway through the day, uh, when I make a break, I either strength train in my facility or I do mixed martial arts here at my facility as well so that I can stay a little bit more limber because I'm not going to lie, so many years of just building muscle, it creates a lot of problems with mobility and flexibility. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I go through my phases. Like I did Pilates for two years. I did yoga for two years. I, um, I did CrossFit for a while. At the end of the day, I do what makes me happy, right? Yeah. So um, Sunday, I was not in the mood to come here to my own business and work out. So I said, hey, let's go do yoga. You know, let's go swap, swap it up. Yeah. Um, the other weekend we were bored and like, let's go hiking. You know, I'm not, I don't like to hike too much, but I was like, let's just do something different to keep things more exciting. So honestly, I have a good foundation of strength and conditioning. That's mainly what I do, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't, that's not all I do. I, I know my body and I know my limitations. So if someone yeah. were to say, hey, let's do a five mile run. I'd be like, you go do that. I'm going to do push it somewhere else. Cause I am after all 210 pounds and, there are certain things that I know my body can and shouldn't be doing on, on the long-term excessive. So mm-hmm. um, I kind of keep it also within my boundaries of what I know I can do. Yeah. And, you know, for anyone listening, it's not like I don't encourage you to do something that's different. Mm. It's just that, you know, after 15 years of doing something to my body, it's simply gone that way. And it's hard for me to go in a whole different direction. Cause yeah. I have a lot of people ask me like, Oh, you like running and you like doing this. Why come you don't do a marathon? I'm like, look, I enjoy the things I do as a hobby, but I, again, I don't want to turn running into something I have to do and then have to do a marathon. If I want to run more, I'll run more. If I want to run less, I run less. But I still have to enjoy the process of exercise. And that's something I always explain to everyone. Like, you got to enjoy what you're doing on a daily basis. If you start forcing yourself to do things you don't want to do, the whole fake it till you make it, I don't know. My personal opinion is that never works because every single one of my business mentors always said, you have to read at least two books a month. 
and I hate reading. Like I just don't, at the end of the day, after everything I've done, the only thing I want to do is go turn on my PlayStation 5 and play Warzone. That's all I want to do. <laughs> I do um, not want to go put my head in a book for another two hours. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's a prime example because I have extremely, extremely, extremely successful clients that are also the same way. They don't like to read. It's just that we, you know, another thing that goes back to social media is they, social media has a lot of pages that tell us how they think we're supposed to be in order to be successful. And you have this very standard image of success. They read, they exercise, they do this, they do that, they say this much, they do that. And it's, it's BS because everyone is different. Like, you know, like I am successful in my own words you know that's why i always say define success what it means to you mm-hmm. and I've, for, I've forced myself to read and oh my god like my brain goes in 15 different directions <laughs> and at the end of the day i don't even remember what i read because i wasn't even in the moment honestly so, i i am with you on that i can read the same page twice and i won't clock i've read it until i got to like the bottom of it on the second time and i'm like shit i did not pay attention one bit at all <laughs> um but so, yeah not for me either like some people but that's the standard right that's the mm. standard you're supposed to read you're supposed yeah. to read because it makes you smarter but i'm like if i'm reading and if i may remember what i'm saying what's even the purpose of reading like to satisfy a need who am that's i satisfying yeah i'm satisfying someone's post i saw on instagram telling me i needed to do it to be seen as smart and it's like well now i feel worse but i don't even remember what i've read um yeah completely the last question we have actually spoke a bit about um body dysmorphia and the issues around mental health so it'd be a good one to finish on is what would your advice be to a younger teenager who potentially is suffering with some form of body dysmorphia or more um imbalance in that way i would say the first thing is to talk to the parents because the parents have to be somewhat aware that if any actions change in the teenager, that it is explained by this issue that's happening within them. Now, um, if the teenager, which, you know, let's be honest, the majority of the time won't confess to the parents that this is an issue, um, I would say to try and deal with the body's dysmorphia in a healthy way, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of don't do any extreme things in order to achieve the body that you're trying to achieve. Um, health should always be number one in anyone's book, whether you're 18, 69, 85, it doesn't matter. Health should always be the primary example. Once you're affecting your health to get a physical look, then that's when you know it's a problem. Because like I said, we all have a certain level and extent of uh, body dysmorphia. Now, it becomes only a problem when you're overthinking about it or you're taking actions that aren't healthy for that um, issue. Um, so what I've noticed is most teenagers do have body dysmorphia because, you know, they don't know, they're not happy with the body they're looking at. Yeah. They feel and expect to have the body of a 30 year old who's been working out for 10 years. And so it is extremely important to allow them to understand that it is normal to be having those thoughts, mm-hmm. but it is not normal to be sacrificing other aspects of their life in order to achieve that. Yeah. And so it is important to have communication and understand it. Yeah. Um, if, I, if, if, you know, if let's say I had a son who's 17 and came up to me and said, Hey dad, I have body dysmorphia. What should I do? Um, the first thing I would ask him is where's that source coming from? Is it social media? Is it your friends? What is it that's triggering these feelings? Yeah. Uh, could be both. If they tell me it's both, then I have to sit down and make them understand, look, these people might have more time training. And if you want to achieve this look, then let's help you get that look in a, in a, in a healthy and safe manner. Now, if we're talking about someone who's older and, you know, in their 30s and have, has body dysmorphia, uh, at that age, they should understand that, you know, it's 
more of a health component than an aesthetic component. And they should, again, not sacrifice their health and well-being for a superficial look. Mm-hmm. Uh, easier said than done. But yeah. it's really important to always understand the roots of the problem in order to assess it. Because if you're just pulling from the top, the, the foundation is always going to just regrow. So really tackling now the foundation. Why is it that you're feeling that way? What are the uh, trigger points? What is triggering your mind to feel this way? So mm-hmm. if it is social media, I would honestly say, if you don't depend on social media, get off of it for a get while. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I call them digital detoxes. Um, mm, nice. If uh, it is your best friend who's making you feel insecure and, you know, they're not being an a-hole about it, then ask your friend for advice. You yeah. know, it's, it's always hard to ask for help from those we feel are better than us because we feel we're going to get turned down by them. Mm-hmm. When in reality, you know, most of the time they're we're really happy to, to help, you know, um, but we can't, you know, and I'm sure you've read this and I'm sure the listeners understand this. You can't judge your own chapter one to someone else's chapter 30 yeah. because there's, there's an entire process and journey that they've developed that you haven't. Yeah, completely. Thank you. <laughs> I think that's going to be very helpful for um, people who are either in that situation themselves or somebody who knows someone who doesn't know what advice to give because it is one of those situations that, again, it's a bit taboo and people haven't got the support on how they approach it. So, um, yeah, that does wrap up the questions and it does wrap up the end of the podcast. So all I can say is thank you so much for your time and joining me today on the Mindgasm podcast. It's been amazing and I found it so inspiring. So thank you so much. My pleasure. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed your Mindgasm. Remember, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to follow me on Instagram at jembeza.com to send in any questions and be the first to find out who we have coming up next. Have a great day.